Section 2b Milestones of World War I and World War II. Milestones of World War I, 1917-1918. When the first shots of the Great War were fired in Europe in August 1914, the first Aero Squadron mustered a dozen officers, 54 enlisted men, and six aircraft. By the end of 1915, the squadron counted 44 officers, 224 enlisted men, and 23 airplanes. This constituted the entire air arm of the United States Armed Forces. By 1916, a second Aero Squadron was added, assigned to duty in the Philippine Islands, and new training facilities were added. In October 1916, plans were laid for 24 squadrons, seven to serve with the regular Army, 12 with the National Guard, and five for coastal defense, supplementing balloon units for the field and coast artillery. Each squadron was to muster a dozen aircraft. The regular Army squadrons were either organized or in the process of being organized by the end of 1916, and all 24 squadrons were formed by early 1917, but only the 1st Aero Squadron was fully equipped, manned, and organized when the United States declared war on Germany 6th April 1917. By April 1917, the United States Army Aviation Section consisted of 131 officers, virtually all pilots or pilots in training, 1,087 enlisted men, and had fewer than 250 airplanes. Even as the war in Europe dragged on, the United States Congress refused to appropriate significant funds for Army aeronautics. The Army's poor state of preparedness could not be laid entirely at Congress's feet. The Army had no plan to enable them to build an air force and did not send trained observers to Europe. General staff officers were so out of touch with modern aerial warfare requirements that their chief complaint about air personnel was the disrespectful manner in which flying officers flouted regulations by refusing to wear their cavalry spears while flying airplanes. Tradition dictated that pilots be drawn from the ranks of commissioned officers, but the aviation section soon realized the pressing need for trained enlisted personnel to perform duties in supply and construction and to serve specialized functions in the emerging aviation-related fields of photoreconnaissance and radio. Most of all, the aviation section needed mechanics. The war demanded engine mechanics, armament specialists, welders, riggers, and sailmakers. The Army first pressed factories into service as training sites, but by the end of 1917, the aviation section began training mechanics and others at a number of special schools and technical institutions. The two largest were in St. Paul, Minnesota, and at Kelly Field, Texas. Later, mechanics and other enlisted specialists were also trained at fields and factories in Great Britain and France. In addition to the specialized roles directly associated with flying, Air Service enlisted personnel performed a wide variety of administration, mess, transport, and medical corps support functions. Construction personnel, who built the airfields, hangars, barracks, and other buildings, were often the first enlisted men stationed at various overseas locations. Milestones of World War II, 1939-1945 Even before the outbreak of hostilities in Europe, the General Headquarters Air Force had begun a massive expansion program that would balloon during the following years into the largest air organization in the nation's history. In 1939, President Franklin D. Roosevelt asked for $300 million for military aviation. The Air Corps planned to have 24 operational combat-ready groups by 1941, which would require greatly enhanced manpower, training, and equipment. The Air Corps prepares for war. 
In 1938, when the United States first took seriously the signs of war in Europe, the Army's air arm was still under two cumbersome command organizations: the Army Air Corps and General Headquarters Air Force. The total force included less than 20,000 enlisted members. In 1940, Congress passed the first peacetime conscription law in United States history. By March 1944, when Air Force manpower reached their high point, 2,104,405 enlisted men and women were serving in a virtually independent branch of the armed services. Moreover, they operated a sophisticated machine of air war that covered nearly the entire globe. From 1939 until 1941, the concept of training did not change drastically, but the scale did. Training centers expanded and multiplied. Ever larger numbers of new airmen passed through advanced training as the overall goals for assembling combat-ready groups increased. The Air Corps simply could not build housing fast enough or find qualified instructors in sufficient numbers to keep up with the pace. Army officials turned to private schools to help meet the demand, and many mechanics, for example, received training in one of the 15 civilian schools. World War II: The Great Central Cataclysmic 20th Century Event. More than two million enlisted airmen served in the United States Army Air Forces during the largest war ever. Most of them, aside from a small number of pre-war soldiers, were not professional warriors. Some carried out routine duties in safe, if unfamiliar, surroundings, while others endured extreme conditions in faraway places for years. Tens of thousands died in combat, and scarcely any remained unchanged by the war. Before the United States could engage the enemy, they needed more personnel, training, and equipment. Thus, 1942 was a year of build-up and training, processes that continued throughout the war. According to one former Eighth Air Force gunner, it took an average of about 30 men to support a bomber. I'm talking about a four-engine bomber, whether a B-24 or a B-17. They're about the same thing. Yet you had to have somebody riding a gasoline truck, oil trucks. You had to have a carburetor specialist, and armaments, and so forth. Sheet metal work. If you got shot up, they had to patch the holes. These people were very important, and they worked 18 to 20 hours a day when you came back. If anything, the gunner underestimated the number of guys on the ground required to keep planes in the air. No accurate figure exists across the board for World War II, but taking into account all the support personnel in the Army Air Corps, the ratio was probably closer to 70 men to one airplane. During the war, the great majority of the more than two million enlisted airmen served in roles that never took them into the air. But without their efforts, even the most mundane or menial, no bombs would have dropped and no war would have been waged. Women served with distinction in the United States Army Air Forces, replacing men who could then be reassigned to combat and other vital duties. The Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was created in May 1942. Figure 2.1. Top priority for assignment of Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was to serve at aircraft warning service stations. In the spring of 1943, the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps became the Women's Army Corps. Almost half of their peak strength served with the United States Army Air Forces, with many assigned to clerical and administrative duties, while others worked as topographers, medical specialists, chemists, and even aircraft mechanics. Some commanders were reluctant to accept women into their units, but by mid 1943, the demand for them far exceeded the numbers available. When the Air Force became a distinct service in 
segregation policies were transferred, but the new organization confronted special difficulties in maintaining the separation, especially in the case of enlisted airmen. Official restrictions that forced black airmen to serve either in all-black units or in segregated service squads robbed the Air Force of a major talent pool. On 11 May 1949, Air Force Letter 35.3 was published, mandating that black airmen be screened for reassignment to formerly all-white units according to qualifications. Astoundingly, within a year, virtually the entire Air Force was integrated, with few incidents. In the spring of 1945, after three and a half years of carnage, the end of the war seemed inevitable. The 1944 invasion of Europe and Allied ground forces grinding advance toward Berlin finally destroyed Germany. The Third Reich surrendered in May 1945. With Europe calmed, American forces turned their attention to Japan. The American High Command expected the final struggle in the Pacific would require relentless attacks against a fanatical foe. Despite widespread destruction of Japanese cities by low-level B-29 firebombings throughout the spring and summer of 1945, Japan continued to resist. United States commanders realized that only an American invasion of the Japanese islands and subjugation of the Japanese would force the empire to surrender unconditionally as the Allies demanded. United States Army Air Force's enlisted crews flew thousands of combat missions during World War II, but there were two missions over Japan in August 1945 that changed the world. They were the flight of the Enola Gay, figure 2.2, 6th August 1945, to drop the world's first nuclear bomb on Hiroshima, and the flight of Box Car, figure 2.3, three days later, to drop the second bomb on the city of Nagasaki. <laughs> 